Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech on Fire podcast and video cast. My name is Rose Ross, and I'm the founder and the chief trailblazer at the Tech Trailblazers, which is an awards for tech startups. And I'm delighted that we are doing a podcast series with our friends at Gigome and talking today to Michael Assoff, who is very much in the AI space. So I am delighted to welcome you, Michael, to Tech on Fire. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Rose. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic, it was great to have you here. And AI is a big topic. We introduced the category to the awards probably about four or five years ago, and it's grown in popularity. And I know that's not gonna be a surprise to you, Michael, but for people who don't know you already, it'd be great to get a little bit of a backgrounder on you and what your beat is from a gigome perspective and the kind of things that you're gonna be keen to chat about. Sure, sure. So I go back many, many years, as you can probably tell from my lack of hair. Um, <laughs> where I, I got interested in AI actually um, after that uh, winter in AI that people talked about. Um, in 86, when backpropagation was a way of training the deep players in neural networks. So I know this is getting very technical, but um, up to that point, neural networks, which was a, a branch of AI, were very simple. Um, and that breakthrough allowed some very deep and complex type of uh, neural networks to be, to be played with. Um, so that drew me into it. Um, I was doing research in solid state electronics, so I had that background in academia, and um, I got drawn into neural nets, and I spent quite a bit of time working with neural nets and using them for forecasting, and I wrote a book on the topic. So that was the era that um, I was uh, deep into that. And then I went and did other things, and then in the last 18 years, I've been working as an analyst um, at um, uh, Informa, and then more currently at the moment at Gigaom. Um, and um, when I saw that deep learning had erupted with the, uh, with the use of accelerators at NVIDIA's GDC conference, um, that really sparked my interest again. And that drew me to covering AI as an analyst. So, so that <laughs> I spent a lot of years there, but AI has been a thread through, throughout my interests. Um, and I do other things as well. Um, but um, Let's talk about AI. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about AI, because that gets yes. me to my burning question. And I said I only had one question for you. I may have been lying, but this is going to be my first only question. Um, for me, I found that people tend to use AI, machine learning, deep learning quite interchangeably. You can see them appearing, you know, slash, 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 you know, what can you just give a layman's guide to what is AI, what is machine learning, and what yes. is learning? Just yes. For, for the obviously for me, I understand them all, but I'm sure you would explain it a lot better than I. Would. Well, yeah, and I think it's a good question because when whenever you see coverage of AI, people talk about AI and ML, mm. and and you wonder well why they're using two acronyms and what does it all mean and how are they different and so on. So that's a good question. So. What I like to do is what I call level setting and explain what I mean when I talk about AI, because you can say AI to somebody and they'll have an idea in their head, but is it the same idea that I have and somebody else has? So, so let's level set. What do I mean by AI? It's a very big topic. It's a big research topic. It really 
took off from the um, mid uh, 40s. Um, and there were two main schools of thought. There was uh, Marvin Minsky at MIT with um, symbolic AI. And then there was the connectionist um, school of thought. Uh, and that's where neural networks fit in, using data to, to drive um, designs that are inspired by the neural networks in the brain. So you have two very different camps. And um, for many, many years, as I mentioned, backpropagation came in 86. But prior to that, the ideas were very good in the uh, connectionist world with the neural networks, but um, there wasn't really a lot of progress. And then backpropagation changed a lot of that. And we're still, when we look at deep learning today, we still see the repercussions of uh, backpropagation uh, of training very deep and large complex networks. So AI is all of that. Um, and machine learning is a branch within AI, and the symbolic research is another branch. Um, and then deep, uh, and then neural networks is a part of machine learning. So machine learning is all about using data, having designs that um, feed on data and come up with um, some intelligence, such as pattern recognition and so on. So. They all fit within each other. So you've got um, AI, you've got machine learning as a branch within that, you've got neural networks as a branch within machine learning, and then you've got deep learning as a branch within neural networks. So um, the reason why people talk about AI and ML is because, um, especially with deep learning being the, the foremost ML technique of today, um, is that um, there's a lot of AI that's that's quite interesting and not 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 neural network based. Um, so Bayesian networks and there's a lot of amazing research being done at Numenta as a research nonprofit research organization um, that's doing some uh, really interesting things. Uh, Jeff Hawkins has recently published his book on uh, called the Thousand Brain a Thousand Brain Model. And um, they're, they're doing a lot of research on sparse networks. So it's not all, uh, to, so to my mind. Yeah, yeah. Quickly, what's a sparse network? Okay, well, a sparse network is where. A sparse, I beg him. A sparse, yeah. sparse yeah. versus a dense neural net. So with a dense neural net, you've got a lot of neurons. Everything's connected to everything else. It's a very, very dense network. With a sparse network, you may have thousands of neurons, but only a few of them. Are actually lit up, and it, that's actually how the brain works. The brain is very sparse. That when you get a signal coming in, maybe it's a visual response. The there's um, the eye is seeing something. Only a few neurons fire um, at any given moment, and so the the brain works in a very sparse manner. Um, and um, and so that research is looking at models that are sparse and have some amazing properties. Um, so the reason I mention all of this is, is that AI isn't just about deep uh, learning and deep neural networks. Uh, amazing, mm -hmm. though, the research that, uh, especially from DeepMind at Google, they're doing some great things. But there's a lot of other things. And I think also we need to, to, to look at the difference between AI research, especially as it's done in academia, and what is coming out of the research labs and going into industry, because most of what we're um, focused on today is, is 
that AI that is being used in amazing things in applications where it's vision, audio, uh, uh, Amazon Alexa, that sort of thing. So, um, so, and this is using this technology, but is it going to get us to the point uh, where t- people talk about um, general AI intelligence in an artificial form that's equivalent to a human being? Um, and and I have to say that um, uh, the gen, I would say that most people in academia will say that deep learning is great, but it's not going to get us to general AI. Um, and so that's why there is a lot of interest in other methods and other pursuits, such as the work going on at Numenta. Um, so, um, <laughs> so, so, so that it's it's all about what what you're trying to do, um, and what is the best type of technology to achieve that end. Um, so, um, so there's a lot of great applications. For example, if you if you're trying to look at fault finding in a factory, uh, looking at uh, hearing the vibrations and detecting something different. Um, if you're a seismologist, you're looking at patterns, trying to find interesting things in the data. Um, if you're navigating a drone autonomously um, or, or a train or a ferry between two ports or even autonomous driving, as, as, as a lot of research, as, as you're aware, is trying to get to that point. So this technology has a lot of promise, can do a lot of things, but I think there's more to it is, is what I'm trying to say when it comes to actually achieving the research aim, which is to eventually get to that holy grail where we can emulate this, the, the intelligence of a human being. And, I, and I'm not defining what that means because that in itself is quite a complex question. Um, but um, so, yeah, so that's why you see AI and ML, because AI is more than just ML, and there are techniques in AI that's not necessarily machine learning. So <laughs> yeah, hope that helps. Yeah, yeah. No, that was cool. That's cool. Yeah, no, that, that's really helpful. Thank you. So what, one is a branch of another, and then the other is yes. deeper again. So that's cool. I mean, that makes perfect sense, but I think it also helps to clarify from a lay person's perspective, because as you say, AI is such a huge element. And I mean, as soon as you say AI, I go all iRobot and Isaac Asimov, (laughs) laws of robotics and all all that. Yes. And by the way, you have a great name. If you ever want to go into science fiction, you're almost halfway there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so from from that perspective, I think that's really useful. Yes. to, To sort of set the scene for what's going on. So obviously, you know, AI has a huge, you know, quite a, long history um yes. you know, both in the science fiction what could happen and uh you know what actually has been done neural networks all these types of things and when you were talking about the sparse networks i thought well that makes sense that the brain would be like that because you imagine if you were powering on everything i mean our heads would be really hot and probably explode yes yes um <laughs> yes. and uh, some people say that my head sometimes is a bit like that anyway but um so from that well, perspective, yeah. it's well, sort of interesting, isn't it? Because you think, yes. well, actually, you just divert, you, you put your lights on when there's something to do, and the rest of the time yes. you relax a little bit. So the way, um, one of the things that people find is the way the neurons are connected mm-hmm. in the brain is, is something called the small world model. So you know there is this game we play, it, is it 
the Kevin Bacon game is is how many steps to Kevin Bacon or I've how many steps played this? Where you I never played this game. But, how but, uh, or, or how, how, how many steps does it take to get from yourself to a US president? You know, these sort of games. And surprisingly, there, there, there are quite, quite a, few, a small number of steps, like six. So this is this, the small world model. And, and what's this interesting. degrees of separation. Yes, yes. Oh, okay, cool. So, so when you have. When you're looking at how the neurons are connected in the brain, it turns out that they, that they emulate this small world model. So you have n- near neighbors are quite clustered, but then you've got a hub neuron that has a very long connection to another hub. So you have these clusters, these hubs, mm. and you have a single neuron that will connect to the hub of another cluster. And that is a very small world type of model. So we see that kind of pattern um, happening in the brain. So these ideas um, are, are sort of feeding into sparse models. And, um, and, and then you also have a spiking neural net. So this is something that's in the last, only the last couple of years, we're seeing startups produce um, hardware accelerators mm-hmm. um, that are using spiking neural nets. So the, the most neural networks that, uh, People work with have conti- uh, neurons that have continuous values, mm. but in the brain, when uh, an event happens, it triggers a spark in a neuron, and that that spike yeah. um, travels along the axon um, and travels across synapses from one neuron to another, um, and that's a, that's a, a traveling spike through time. And so, spiking neural networks emulate that type of um, characteristic. And it's been the spiking neural networks have been around when I when I got interested. I mentioned '86; they were around in '86. But it's been it's taken a long time for people to actually do something useful with them. And all of a sudden, in the last two years, we're seeing a whole burst of startups um, coming on the scene and and producing chips that are based on spiking neural nets. So it's really exciting that they're finally cracked it and are able to train neural networks with these spikes. Um, so that's fascinating. They tend to be used for edge computing where it's very low power and there's analog models, so they're not just digital. So mm-hmm. when, when we talk about neural networks, we're really simulating an idea, an algorithm on, on, a, on a computer. Um, and we need accelerators um, like GPUs and FPGAs to to enable these systems to compute and train in in a reasonable amount of time, but they're really just simulations. As they're, they're simulating the idea of a neural net. That's what the algorithm is. Um, but analog uh, models they actually embody the neural network uh, physically, um, and you have spiking neural nets um, with analog models. So you have all these different combinations. You can have spiking neural nets on a digital simulation, or you can do it analog. So you got all these combinations, and all these startups are, you know, trying out these different ideas. And uh, so, so there's a there's a lot of burst of uh, creativity going on at the moment. It's something that we've uh, been writing about at uh, Gigaom. Um, I'm just uh, finishing a report on edge AI accelerators that is looking at these spiking neural nets. They're called neuromorphic um, models. And um, so uh, we're covering that space 
And as I mentioned, Edge AI, where you're doing inference modes. So inference mode is when you're getting a result, you're using the neural network in production, you're feeding it in data, and then you want to see what result you get after you've done all the training. Mm. Um, so neuromorphic is very hot for that. Um, and it's very low power and it's often very tightly connected with the sensor. Um, and then you got other chips that do more, more heavy, heavy duty work. Um, so, you know, you, so the, the, the sort of uh, Alexa where you're looking for a command word that would be done by, um, for example, a neuromorphic, uh, chip could, could, would do that. Um, uh, very low power, very small chip. And it just does that function, uh, mm. looking for a, a trigger alert, a command word. Mm. Um, and then you've got the bigger chips that do more heavy processing. And um, yeah, so it's uh, so I, I would say that I think I think when when we talk about AI today in practice with mm. the technology that we see around us, like um, um, the, the uh, being able to 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 talk to a, an Alexa or Google Home or one of those devices, or eventually we're going to be talking to our washing machines. <laughs> so, so. I already have a smart dishwasher, by the way. Oh, I'm that's good. Enables. I haven't worked out how to do it. <laughs> Come on, let's face it. I've got a teenage son. I can't even get him to put the dish in the dishwasher. Now, that's the revolution is when we can yes. actually get something that the little robot that will pick everything up. That's right. But I had a fun idea. Yes. Because you kept saying Alexa and I was waiting for her to pop up. because she's Well, she's not in my room. Uh, she's oh, in the mine house. Mine is. You can oh, have mine. And she Alexa. hasn't woken up. Oh, here we go. I thought we could ask her what she thinks artificial intelligence is. That would be fun, wouldn't it? All right. Alexa. <laughs> Here's what? something I found no. on the web. According to TurnPaperWarehouse.com, artificial intelligence, AI, is the branch of computer science concerned with making computers behave like humans. Well, that's one of you. I, would, I wouldn't say that's definitive. Ooh, but... <laughs> Controversy, controversy. <laughs> AI specialist disagrees with Alexa on what AI is. I mean, I feel there's really there. I feel that there could be a, like a... Can we have like a bit like a face-off between human and Alexa? <laughs> Actually, it, but this is the problem, isn't it? Because she can only pick up information that someone's written out there. Yes, right? yes. So I mean, she doesn't hold her own terms. She is just searching. Yeah, I mean, researchers talk about behaving like a human. So, so do you when you when you when you want to be human-like? Do you want to be truly human-like or do you just want to be rational do you want to think like a human or do you want to be able to act like a human so these are different dimensions to what we might expect out of an artificial intelligence um and they all play into perhaps they're all part of ultimately we want all of those things or i don't know i mean do we want a, an artificial machine to be so human that it's irrational <laughs> well it's fine because i'm happy to be the role model for that one <laughs> follow me um, people i'll show i'll show path to irrationality <laughs> and impulse here we go but um i think it's an interesting thing because yes yes i mean i'm already now <laughs> when i go to my mum's and i work there 
I kind of turned to Alexa to go, Alexa, turn the light on, or to Alexa, put the radio on, or, or whatever yes. it is. She's now going to ask me, what do you want me to do? Because she keeps asking me questions too quick to react. Um, and how quickly we get used to them being around. Yes, and Why I think not? that... It won't be long before I'll be quite happy when there's a little robot doing my dusting. Yes, yes, I th- I'm sure we'll get to that point. And stuff like that. So... And we have we have we have vacuum robots, and I think that's that's quite a a successful little market of its own. And I'm sure we'll see a lot more of this technology. Um, one one of the difficulties, for example, with having a robot, I think um, Elon Musk um, was it Elon Musk or Apple were talking about creating a robot for yeah. the home. But one of the difficulties is um, being safe around a robot because. Um, well, I Obviously, trip over it all the time, and you know, <laughs> I trip over the Hoover. <laughs> so you need they need to be soft and flexible if you do collide with them, and I think that's something that uh, the researchers are working on. So I'm sure at some point we'll we'll see more of these things in our home. Yeah, mm. for sure, for sure. Well, it'd be interesting. I mean, they're they're, they're infiltrating already, aren't they? I mean, I yes, yes, worked out. But you know, you got the lights on it. I get all my music through it. Da, 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 da. I haven't connected it to the telly yet, but you know, it's not it's not going to be long before that will be. Uh, Everything, songs. yeah. The, the, we'll we'll have more connected um, technology for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the moment, I have about five different um, controls for my TV, which uh, is quite ridiculous. Oh, no, that's showing off now. I've only got two. <laughs> I'm not showing off. It's a pain. I want to have one. <laughs> I want to have one ask, intelligent what control. Going on with your telly that you've got five controls. What's that? Um, I have a, a Roku box. I have a, a DVD Blu-ray player. I've got oh. a BT recorder. All of these boxes have different con- controllers. All mod cons. All yeah, and I really just want one to control all of it. And then the television um, has its controls. So. <laughs> Not oh, forgetting well, you're, that. You're better than me because I managed to. I was away for like a night, and my son managed to lose. Yeah, you lose a control. One of the grandchildren has put sat on nightmare. There's nothing worse because I mean, tellies today you can't actually do anything manually with them. You've got you can just about turn them on. Yeah, yeah, and that's like, it. It's like that's oh, right. Man. So, yeah. So it's it's so you want we want we want we want we've got all this great technology, but we want simplification. Um, yeah. So no, nobody nobody in the house can work out how to get my hi-fi system working. Mm. Um, so you know, this is where te- <laughs> this this is where technology <laughs> is is too complex. Mm. You know. Um, so somebody said, if you need to read a manual, um, it's 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 technology. When it's just part of the background and and you use it with ease, then it's part of life, and that's what technology needs to migrate to. Um, if you need to read a manual, then it's it's no good. <laughs> the only reason you read a manual, and this is obviously everybody go well, she's definitely not a technologist, is when I can't work something out myself. Yes. But that's it. That's that, it. that's that's a failure. Right. That's a, I think that's a failure in 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 somebody has designed a, a wonderful box that does some wonderful thing, but they've done it to their to to the way they want to design it, not to the way 
that we want to interact with it. Mm. And I think there's a big disconnect between what is made available to us and how we really want to to make use of, of those objects. We want ease of use and yeah. So I think there's still that, uh, th yeah, there's a lot more to be done, I think, for technology to, to be done, to be done right. And that's going to be AI, isn't it? And it applies to AI, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, AI may help, actually. In Well, that's what I was thinking. I yes. think that's sort of like yes. make up for the lack of human intelligence. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's lack of human intelligence. I think it's lack of understanding by designers as to actually how to make our life easier instead of more complicated mm. um and i think that's that's uh that's part of the problem yeah. um i certainly would like it so that it was very simple for my mum to use coming <laughs> yes. up against things which are just partly to do with her age and her ability to see things and obviously technology she's never i mean she has a mobile phone but she can just about work out how to phone somebody on it but I think that's increasingly due to eyesight rather than intelligence. Yes, but, um, yes. But voice command stuff for people who, you know, can't see very well or don't understand the technology, if you can make it mm. super simple. Yes, and I saw a device advertised um, that you can scan on a page and it will read it to you. Oh, so, so, you know, so, so people um, um, who, uh, you know, are just learning the language um, and. Uh, that would be a great help, and yeah, I mean, uh, I yeah, we see more, more, and more useful, useful things around us. <laughs> well, we hope so, but then again, yes, today, yes, all you need is I did, I did solve my TV problem. I bought two, maybe three spare remote controls. So uh -huh. on the basis that you're going to lose one or two. <laughs> if you lose one, the life that your life does not go on hold because obviously this is lockdown. I mean, this is serious stuff. You can't go out and have a social life. You were relying on um, TV-based yes. entertainment, unfortunately. Yes. Um, but anyway, so that, but that's good. I mean, we'll see the future moving in that direction. So you've talked a little bit about startups, and obviously startups um, is something that we uh, are all very passionate about. And obviously GigaOme is very much looking at the innovative space of a technology so yes. startups are obviously going to be an important part of that and you talked about the ones who are doing chip acceleration or that's right yes that's like which is being utilized in edge computing yes yes so um and, and it is something that we've seen and i've actually talked to some of your colleagues about in previous podcasts is that we are starting to see ai become a big part of you know, things like cybersecurity, things that can be automated, things where you can maybe take a human out of part of the solution and give it some intelligence. Yes. So thinking primarily. Yes. And then, you know, free up the human beings to do stuff once that that's that first level, you know, like what I call almost first first touch support or first touch part of a product. Yes ability so there's some very fascinating technology I, I in fact the call i've just had before this uh, before yourself rose was uh, yeah. with a, a very interesting company um using photons to accelerate something called the fourier transform but the really the reason why it's so fascinating well, i'm glad is, we've kept with a really simple topic for me there, Michael. <laughs> but I, I i the reason i want to mention this <laughs> it's is, one of those things no 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 seriously <laughs> i know it's technical but i i, I the reason i want to mention this 
is that you have secure data in storage, right? Yeah. You can send encrypted data um, as a communication. Um, WhatsApp, for example, as you know, encrypts data. Yeah. But what happens when you actually want to do things with the data? You have to decrypt it to do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. And then when you got a result, you then encrypt it and then send it. But yeah. while it's decrypted, it's vulnerable. People can snoop and, and look at the data hmm. and it's not secure. So there is something called fully homomorphic encryption, which mm-hmm. allows you to work with encrypted data. Um, and for example, you can multiply two bits of encrypted data and get a result that's meaningful, but still encrypted. So it's completely hidden. And that's what fully homomorphic encryption does. But the, the trouble is, so the breakthrough around in that field was around 2009. So it's relatively recent. There's been an explosion of work um, t- taking this technology forward. But the biggest problem with um, uh, fully homomorphic encryption, FHE, is that um, it's very slow to do those computations when it's encrypted. Mm-hmm. And this is where accelerators come in and make it possible to do this calculation in real time. So this company I was speaking to, Optalsis, they're, um, um, they're UK-based, actually. And um, there's another company called Cornami in the US. So suddenly you've now got these um, chip companies that are able to um, accelerate this technology. So this is something that's going to happen in the near future where you'll be able to secure data, not just in storage and in flight, but also during compute, completely secure all the time. And that's that's going to be a massive, massive technology. That's pretty crazy. It is. I mean, it is I'm, amazing. Uh, storage and security are, in a, are areas that I'm very familiar with. Yes. She says after pretending she's totally technically illiterate. But, um, and, you know, we've done a lot around encryption to tapes, encryption, you know, in transit, you know, yes. rest, da, 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 yes. Da, yes. dealing with people who were working with recovering data that had been at the bottom of the ocean on tapes, you know, since World War II. All sorts oh, of interesting wow. stuff like that. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but the thing is, obviously, those are the two states that yes. encryption has happened at, at rest and in transit. That's what people are worried about, you know. Obviously, yes. transit was the first one um, to worry about with, you know, the, the ability to, to in, intercept transmissions. Um, but during computers, so it is bonkers. But, but part, part, of the, part of the problem is that the thinking with security now is that you'd have to assume the bad guys are in your network. That's, that's the level of thinking today is that, oh, no, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you need to you need to do the right things on the assumption that the bad guys are in your system and how do you protect. So, mm-hmm. th- so this, this kind of um, technology um, working with encrypted data and being able to work with it without having to decrypt it, it's a massive breakthrough. Um, there are some other technologies that are, that are adjacent to this. There's something called confidential computing. Um, this is the chip companies like Intel and AMD and others are working on where they have trusted execution environments actually on the chip. Um, and they have these, uh, these enclaves where you can um, send your um, confidential data 
into these enclaves, decrypt it, work with it, and then it comes out um, of the enclave encrypted. Um, but it's not quite as fully secure as FHE. Um, so mm -hmm. it's horses for courses. You, you choose the right type of technology for your needs. Um, but for the holy grail of absolute um, security, FHE is really there. And, mm -hmm. and we're getting nearer to that point. We're a few years away. So these companies that I mentioned are just in the process of uh, building out these chips. And uh, um, it'll be a few years before they'll be out in the market. But, you know, you heard it here <laughs> in a few right years' time. First. You right heard right it here first. first. In, well, that's what we're talking about. I mean, we, we we talked before we started recording about the context for this, that the tech yes. stuff was looking back over the last, say, 10 years because yes. the, the awards are 10 years old. And then we thought, oh, we, if we look back 10, can we look forward 10? You know? Yes, and indeed. That's exactly yeah. what you're saying. And yeah, yeah. If, they're, if they're alive and kicking, and I guess even as if they've got prototype, they can come in and put their hat in the ring for the award. So don't don't be shy guys there with this incredible encryption, you know, with the whatnot. Don't don't be shy. Put it put it out there. Um but uh there are lots of these types of things that are happening in security right now that are being used right now within um sort of automation and 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 such like. So very yes. exciting times. Very exciting. Yes, yes, yes. So this, yeah, this is definitely a, 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 a watch this space, this technology, secure, secure in compute. Mm. Oh, it's some, it's some new buzzwords there for me to, yes. to hold on to there. And also a fight with Alexa, who decided that she wanted to get involved with <laughs> the conversation. I think she's taken umbrage because you didn't like her definition of AI. And she's now going to, she's, she's going to be feisty. And has decided to get indicate get in the, in on the act here somewhere along the line, but I mean it, it it's all out there. And uh, so the other thing I was thinking about because this has been a bit of a bit of a sort of a futuristic topic, and there's been talks about encryption. And I can't see how there's not an element of AI in, in this whole area. And, and everybody who knows this in depth will probably go, of course it is, or of course it isn't. But there's been a lot of talk about quantum computing. Oh yes. So uh, do you see that AI is going to be at the forefront of that? Is that going to be hmm. something that will run in parallel and they'll kind of yes. so, move along together? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things about quantum computers is um, they, they, they can do certain types of computations um, incredibly fast. Um, so they, they're not going to replace um, our, our classical computers. But for certain types of computation, they really are in a different realm. Mm. Um, so the question is, um, when you look at our AI models, is there a way where a quantum computer can do something useful, um, whether it's accelerating the computation or um, coming up with an intriguing um, AI model that uh, the quantum computer can, can, can take things to in, 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 in new and and interesting directions. So I've seen papers uh, being published on quantum AI, um, quantum computing-based AI. So it's definitely people are looking at these ideas. And um, at the moment, we just have um, emulators and we've got quantum computers that can only run a few qubits. But um, 
I think we're all expecting at some point that we'll get um, some some uh, quantum supremacy type of computers, uh, quantum computers that can do things that classical computers cannot do at all. Um, and I think people talk about needing about a thousand qubits to to do that. So I think once once we get those sort of computers out there, I think um, we'll see we'll see more of this research. And so I, I expect to see AI being run on quantum computers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of needs it all fits together. And it's interesting thing that I was thinking about there, what you were talking about, that's the level of security. Because obviously yes. we're going to want secure data that's being processed by, you know, just because you want it fast. Yes. You don't want it securely, right? You're not going to compromise one for the other here. Yes. And it almost feels like it's a bit like the safety belt in a car. You can go... You can push more sensitive data through if you yes. know you've got this encryption during the processing part. Yes. And because the quantum is so fast, you kind of are throttling back and forth. One well, really fast, yeah. the other one will, will obviously by its <laughs> nature slow it down, but overall you're going faster. Right? Um, yes. So quantum computers definitely have uh, turned the whole um, uh, cryptographic community um upside down if one can put it in those terms mm-hmm. um but it doesn't uh, it, but but there's there's good news as well um because there are um technologies like fhe that if they're um done in a certain way um so lattice based um fhe um is 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 known to be mm-hmm. quantum proof um so um, so this is this is one of the things that um, um, DARPA in the US is running this competition for FHE accelerators. Um, they, they all need to be quantum proof because basically these these are going to become the next standards in cryptography, international standards, um, and they need to be quantum proof. If it's not quantum proof, okay, it's not gonna it's not gonna be any of any use. So. Um, there are these technologies that that are um, are understood to the best of our knowledge. So you're getting into the realm of uh, NP com- complete systems, and um, you know <laughs> if you can show one example that can that can break this this type of um, um, restriction, then all the others are uh, are broken as well. So, to, but the best of our knowledge, these lattice systems are are quantum proof, mm. um, but you you can't guarantee um, that that these things may change in the future. But to the best of our knowledge today, these lattice based FHE systems will be quantum computer. Uh, uh, quantum proof the quantum computer will not be able to break it Mm. well interestingly enough the nsa kind of agrees with you the american um, national security agency although when i heard the headline i was a little bit (gasps) (laughs) moment um and i thank to our friends at the register here um so apparently um there is an faq from the nsa about quantum computing and post-quantum cryptography, which Uh says, and I'm quoting from the article in the register, not from the PDF itself, has to produce requirements today for systems that can be used for many decades in the future. With that in mind, the agency came up with some predictions 
But generally speaking is that they don't know when or even if a quantum computer will be able to break today's public key encryption. Right. So, so as long as they're using some of the, 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 the known, to the best of our current knowledge, known quantum proof, as long as you're using those kind of standards, you're safe. Um, but some of the older standards will be broken. So um, that's just one of the hazards with, with this new technology. <laughs> mm. Well, it'll be interesting how it all plays out. Because yes, yes. Really, proof is in the pudding with these things, isn't it? If it holds up for rigorous under the rigor of, of attacks, then, then it's all good. Let's keep our fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> yes. Um, so what else have we got to look forward to in the, the realms of AI over the years? You know, what are we going to see as mm. our entrance, you know? Well, I think we'll... along and with their entries, pop their, pop their entries in the, the virtual box. <laughs> yes. And get them looked at. So I think if we're talking about um, practical AI um, in, in the world, in the real world, mm. as opposed to the efforts in research. So from this sort of practical point of view, I think we'll see a lot more. We talked about gadgets and trying to make our life simpler at home. I think we'll see a lot more AI in the home, in the office, in the factory. There's going to be a lot of um, uh, edge AI. So edge AI and inference mode AI is all about putting AI into everyday use. Um, and with 5G rollout, there's going to be more connectivity. There's going to be a lot more data being processed, some of it locally, some of it on the cloud. Um, just, you know, in the next 10 years, we're going to see more chips um, embedded in objects and devices, and they'll, they'll, they'll be more intelligent for sure. You'll be able to the human-machine interaction will improve. Um, they'll be doing um, more advanced type of um, of um, analysis and computation, and hopefully, you know, it'll be a safer world as well. Because all this effort to bring AI into um, our transport is all about safety. Um, so we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we. we you know, we, we should be living in a better world as a result of this technology. Let's hope so. Let's yes. Hope so. yes. And anything else you want to to add on that, on innovation, startups and AI over the coming? Yeah, I mean, stay tuned to what we do at GigaOn because um, I'm covering this space and I'm talking to a lot of startups. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot of amazing ingenuity out there and we love to cover it and so check out check out our reports <laughs> fantastic and i know that a couple of your colleagues have stepped in as judges so if you have the time we'd love you to help judge who's yeah i'd be AI delighted questions. yeah so uh yeah so that's another way for people to get your attention get their entry in front of you because then you can have a look and go oh that's interesting i'd like to find out a little bit more about that um so that's good well brilliant thank you so much it's been right, an absolute Rose. pleasure michael um just to wrap up it's the tech on fire podcast that we've been doing with the team at gigom which is just with just mind-blowing stuff that we've covered <laughs> a real smorgasbord of different technologies so thank you very much again michael for coming and joining us and you've been listening to the tech trailblazers tech on fire podcast and video cast my name is rose ross and um, I'll be coming back to you 
with regards to this very soon. But in the meantime, get your entries in if you're a startup. We want to get you in front of Michael, other guys from Giga Ohm and other amazing judges who are all keeping an eye out on what you're up to. And also you can find out more about that at www.techtrailblazers.com. You can follow us on Twitter at techtrailblaze. And you can also find us on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Rose. It's been a pleasure.